stare at her so intensely you'll break her concentration. Extraordinary. She doesn't know who I am now. No, of course not. She wouldn't just be innocently reading like that. She, she doesn't know who I am. Why didn't she start reading when we set off? Lack of interest. No, no, just look at her expression. A good face on it for whose benefit? For whose benefit, old Parsky? Why, for hers. For your unforeseen travelling companion, this silent woman sent to you by fate, the focus of your beseeching gaze. She's reading the unexpected man. It, it's really too much. I knew she was an interesting woman. Shall I remain anonymous? The theater, the theater. Theater. To be or not to be. Theater. Theater. Well, that's this meeting is about. being recorded. It's being recorded. This meeting this, is being recorded. This meeting is being recorded. <laughs> wow. There's this new voice on Zoom, y'all. We're recording on Zoom still. We're going to try and get back together, but I'm about to go out of town. We had to make this all happen very quickly. So I <laughs> actually, Pam offered her place for <gasps> our next miniseries because she has a big pool house and stuff we, we could record in uh, if we wanted to do that. I forgot to mention that earlier, and now it's in the episode. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm more um, interested in the pool. I, well, Just right, and then we'll swim. poolside or we from the pool. in the pool. If we yeah. Could, uh, <laughs> Done. Cut to tragedy in the Southland. <laughs> Three podcasters yeah. Three drown podcasters while podcasting. E- electrocuted as their equipment tumbles <laughs> into the swimming pool. <laughs> Just, uh, we lost Pam. $10,000 in, in laptops and microphones. <laughs> We do. That's not. That's not. And three long. lives. Also. And three lives. Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> this podcast isn't that great. Um, <laughs> speaking of, welcome to Theater Theater, the theater podcast for theater nerds, made by three theater makers from the LA theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Bertram. I'm CJ Merriman. I'm Scott Leggett. That sounded so sad, Siege. I'm CJ. I'm CJ Merriman. I I guess I'm CJ Merriman. <laughs> And each week, switch it up. Yeah, I get it. And each week, we, yeah, I mean, last week Scott was from like fucking Wales or something. Um, Each week, we get together to discuss, debate, and disseminate the evolutions of the great playwrights by taking a macro look at three of their plays. Uh, This week, we finish up our mini series covering the works of the French playwright Yasmina Reza. I have to make sure I say that she's French because it's important. Uh, But that's right, it's Pod of Carnage part two. Who's Serge? Part deux. Part deux. If we're VH1, we would say part deux. Part deux. Part deux. They did that for all of their VH1 behind the music bullshit. I remember that. I remember that. Part When I was, that makes me think, when I was in high school, my geometry teacher was Robin Macy my sophomore year of high school. And she is the creator and lead of the original... Dixie Chicks, now just the Chicks. 
uh, but the original group of the Dixie Chicks. And she, uh, the first day of class, put in a VHS tape of when she recorded the VH1 behind the music on herself. Oh my God! So the wow. first day of classes, you watch the you watch the the VH1 behind the music of the the original Dixie Chicks, and it shows like a they they did like a McDonald's commercial and like all the stuff. Um, and then she proceeded to uh, teach me geometry for a year and uh, fucking hated me. Aww. Uh, most of my teachers really loved me. That's not true. It was 50-50, but she was one of the 50 that didn't. Aww. Yeah, she didn't Aww. love me too much. She was like, write the proof, Bailey. And I was like, I don't care about this. Um, <laughs> I want to do theater. I'm a theater nerd. <laughs> we don't um, need math. We don't need geometry to build sets. We just make it up. Um, <laughs> no, of course, I learned a lot from her, but she, we were not friends. Um but this week, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Unexpected Man. Last week, we talked about art. Uh, and we're also going to talk about God of Carnage. God of Carnage. Uh, the namesake of this podcast and also a great name for, like, a, you know, heavy metal uh, album. Or a cat. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to get my next cat name at God of Carnage. God of Carnage. <laughs> Just all one word. God of Carnage. Yeah. God of Carnage. God of Carnage. God of Carnage. <laughs> And I'll get one to name it God of War. <laughs> yes, and then we'll have a cat sitcom. They'll be yeah. Fun. Oh, that'd be fun. <laughs> Put two strange cats in a room together and just film it. Yo, I'd watch it. <laughs> and, I would. And I'll be the annoying friend who's allergic to cats who shows up and bitches about being allergic to cats. I mean, I it's cats. who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. Thanks. Oh, you're I, you're not allergic to cats, though, right? You're just yeah. Oh, I am. Uh, I'm kidding. No, you're both. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you batch. You batch. You batch. You're a bad batch. You you're slat. a slat. Hey. <laughs> we haven't go gone back and listen to our yeah our Ionesco episodes if you want to know why CJ and I are slats. <laughs> Uh, Scott is a slat in training, a, sl a slat apprentice. I'm getting there. Slat apprentice. <laughs> a slat apprentice. Oh my God, we a are slat so funny. He's a slat one learner. Slat one. Hey, I'm, let's talk about such a Star Wars war, y'all. I'm using Lacock to talk learn about how Star to be Wars a, a, a slat. I'm using Lacock to be a slat. Jacques Lecoq is good at teaching the, the slat. Um, I love that Jacques Lecoq. Lecoq. He's a good man. Uh, so this week we're talking about, uh, we're going to begin by talking about Unexpected Man. Uh, and that man is not Jacques Lecoq. In fact, he is, um, his name ends up being Palsky? Palsky. Parsky. Parsky? Sorry, I don't know. Parsky. Parsky. Um, okay. So, what were your thoughts on this? This came out in 1995. It's a two-hander, two-header, whatever you want to call it. Uh, two people on stage in a train. Uh, CJ, maybe you can help me out with this one by breaking it down. CJ's Breakdown. A grouchy, famous-ass author and one of his biggest fans sit together in the same compartment on a train bound from Paris to Frankfurt. Insecure inner monologues, reminiscing, and a retired person's meet cute ensue. Mm -hmm. mm. And you, I mean, 
this could be said about art and God of Carnage, but CJ's breakdown, that was the whole plot of the show. That was it. <laughs> you told you everything. Uh, you can now go take a test on it. Because it's... Spoiler alert. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't know that it's... There's really no plot. The plot is that two people are in a car together, and, and one of them is a writer, and the other one is has his book. Well, it's a real-time play, too. Like, yeah. There's no breaks where it's a different day or a different time or a different place. You were sitting in the compartment with him the whole time. Right. Yeah. You know what? I I, I compared art a little bit to True, True West, and mm-hmm. I know it's not the same setup or anything, but this felt a little crap's last tape to me yeah it is i mean and thematically it is too it's it is i think there's themes about aging i think there's themes about loneliness and disconnection Mm -hmm. and regret and reflection and connection and the a desperate need for that and And, from there's a beckett side to it in general too yeah there is you know there's it's there's a feel to this yeah um there's it's it's funny because we talked in a little bit about art and that there's there's sort of a timelessness to it in that there's no direct reference to uh, pop culture or, you know, there's right. Vaguely, right. There's a few references to Paris as a city. And here there's kind of a few references of the train and its trip from Paris to Frankfurt. They're going to Frankfurt. Yes. Right? Frankfurt. Yeah. Yeah. Frankfurt. Mm-hmm. And um and so that r- really hit me. It, it's a it's it's a slow burn. Well, it's it's a slow burn, but it's a quick burn. It's it runs probably maybe just a notch over an hour. Yep. I think I think I read somewhere that, that in a review or something that it was seventy five minutes. Um, but it's like art and like uh, well, not quite as much with God of Carnage, but this is can be as big or as small as you want it to be in terms of yeah. production. And I think it's another reason why her stuff keeps getting done. You can, it, you, it, she allows so much room for the, the, the communal theater artist experience designers cubes. would have. Yeah. I mean, you could do it with cubes, absolutely. <laughs> but a, a, a yeah. set designer would go off on this. A sound designer could go off on this. A lighting sure. designer could go off on this. And a director certainly could as well. Although yeah. there isn't, you know, overtly dynamic blocking or anything like that. Um, I imagine that there could, you could with these monologues, a director could conceivably, let somebody get up and out of that. Although I think it would diminish it a little bit, Um, but there's a lot of stuff you can do. And there's so much for the actors, like for both, both of these parts and, and they're both in their own place and going through their own journey. And, um, but I, I really got knocked out by this play. Like it really was like, um, I could see it not being everybody's cup of tea, but I, I think I was thinking of it, the challenges of it. First of all, there's so much monologue from both, mm-hmm. both, both for both actors on stage, and um, and a lot to unpack. There's a lot to explore. Like we, we talked in the part one, that she's not overly obsessed with psychoanalysis. She's more obsessed with physiology, sort of sure. you know, where this intersection where people start to kind of break down when social norms break down when manners break down. This is a little bit different. This is a little bit more meditative and um, and engaging in that way that you, that because you're hearing inner monologues, people talking directly to themselves, there becomes this 
brutal honesty and at times dishonesty, people not being honest with themselves. Sure. But for the most part, it is. Again, we get to, you know, uh, I think the woman is uh, a little bit more likable than the man as a character or as characters. But um, I think you get so much is revealed about both these people in a really beautiful way. I was really struck by it. It's also, first, go ahead. Well, it's also just the tension of like two people in this small room together that aren't talking to each other, but especially the woman in the beginning. And then he joins in, they're talking about one another. Mm -hmm. And so that moment where they actually exchange words, I was kind of like, yes, it happened. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, well, I love a chamber piece, right? I love when you're just two people in a room and you're sitting with them, right? I love that kind of stuff. Um, or anything where I know they can't leave, like a prison show or like Orange is the New Black or something, mm -hmm. right? Where I'm like, I know you have to be here and that raises all of the tensions for me. And I, I, mm -hmm. I, I, I love this kind of stuff. Um, but my first note I wrote down was, what a horrible man. <laughs> because the things he's saying in that first monologue alone you're just kind of like what mm -hmm. oh yeah. this guy but again you know i we, we talk about this a lot on the podcast there's always that one character that's sort of uh maybe outside of uh norm in terms of what they're saying or outside of uh, societal uh uh sort of what's allowed i I'm, there's a better word for that um well yeah I, he's he's being He's he's saying what he's feeling, and some of that is racist, and some of it's misogynistic, and right. but it's all I hate to say it like this, but it's all light enough that his becomes a slight redemption arc, a little bit like his reaching out to her. By the time you get to the end, is a little redemptive, and yeah. You know, and 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 his sadness as well. But no, I, I I agree. You know, but I think that's so much of all of her characters that there's always a little bit of I don't like this person. It's also so the I reality. I be, it makes you think about yourself too, because we all think uncharitable or shitty or whatever thoughts in our head, but never actually say them out loud. Right, and that was actually kind of my point. Is that that was my first thought? Mm -hmm. Was what a horrible man. Right. Yeah. Like, oh my god. But you're right. At some point I started going like, fuck, I have terrible thoughts sometimes that I have to like, that I'm like reteaching myself about, you know? Yeah. So like I, she's writing a very, just like you said last episode, Scott, she's, she's gotten down, she's stepped out of herself a little bit and she's gotten into the psyche of uh, like a deeper psyche of things, right? It's like, she's not even using personal experience. McNally very much was writing from like his heart. And oh from yeah, experience. yeah, yeah. She's almost like a a philosopher, a stoic. Even she's Seneca, mm -hmm. right? Like she's. She, <laughs> she's <Seneca. laughs> but you know what I mean? Like she's just very good at like being like presenting an idea, a thematic statement, and then expounding on it. And mm -hmm. um, this one's very much just about internal thought, internal struggle. Uh, that's but that's what the play. That's what the format is it's what the content is and it's what the play is and that's it it's yeah. very much just internal thought the struggle to show and hide our true selves to especially to show um you know but also just to hide those things about ourselves and uh, the struggle of insecurities and morbid thoughts and yeah, yeah. 
this is not very funny compared to art. Mm-mm. No. But no. it has its charming. moments. It's charming. Yeah. Uh, it, a little less audience friendly, I would argue. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, this is... This is hard. <laughs> this is a hard yes. fucking thing. Like, and we should say that the original British production was Michael Gambone and and Eileen Atkins. So Atkins. you're, t- yeah. So you're talking about two insane, insanely talented people. Yes. This you- is my Pinter crossover. I've been dying to talk about oh. Eileen Atkins is the queen regent in the first season of The Crown. Yes. She's she's. Harris's Harris's she's Edward's mother the old old queen right I saw her in 2005 on the West End they were doing the 50th anniversary of the birthday party on the West oh, End. oh shit and she yeah. played the older woman in that so I saw she was and she was amazing and then when I saw her on the crown I was like what of course, you know, all of those amazing British actors have insane careers that go all their theater, television, film, all that stuff. So the OG off Broadway cast was Eileen Atkins and Alan Bates, not the original uh, okay. British Lon- London. So version. then re- London cast. Right. So uh, Alan Bates does the original caretaker and the look back in anger, as I said before. Uh, but then a year later, Holland Taylor and Christopher Lloyd did it at the Geffen in Los Angeles. Interesting. All right. Okay, so what's interesting about this is that Alan Bates and Holland Taylor did Butley together on Broadway. Yes. Directed by and written by uh, Harold Pinter. And then in the movie of Butley, she was replaced with Jessica Tandy, who was the OG Blanche Dubois on Right. Broadway. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did I cut out again? No. 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 Oh, okay. No, that okay. Was great. Yeah, yeah. Jessica Tandy. <laughs> uh you guys froze and I was like, "Fuck." Um anyway, it's, it's yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic vehicle for um for for older actors and and it it's so much potential. There's so much there. And it feels like she in writing it, wrote a piece that, like, I would never want to watch college kids try and pull this off. No. No. Even as an exercise. The experience has to be there. She has a line, um, the one, it, it, we should say that in the script, they are identified as a man and a woman, and as the play is un- unfolds, we learn their names. But Martha is the woman's name, and she has this lovely line, and she says, um, she says in talking about it, it's a nostalgia for what's never taken place, a nostalgia for what might happen. And mm-hmm. I, and, and I don't know unless you had that experience, if you fully get it as I've been getting older, <laughs> uh, is that you, 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 these experiences and these memories become something different. Your relationship to things becomes different via a, a filter of nostalgia, via a filter of experience. And I don't know that e- you know, even on a basic acting level, using all the imagination, skills, techniques as, as possible, I don't think anything could could get to a place where, you know, an Alan Bates or a Michael Gambone or an Eileen Atkins or a Jessica Tandy 
um, would automatically be with, with plus those are all people with superpowers. They're right. super mm-hmm. talented and super honed in their skill. They have the mutant to, gene. The yeah, X if gene. you will, exactly. Yeah. And um, that's what I, I, I just I. I just floated through this play and was just like, oh, my God, like this is, you know, this is something I'd well, like, love to tackle in 15 years, 20 years. We, we should say that the critics didn't love this one. No, no. Um, in fact, the consensus, in, from, even t- by uh, current reviewers, is that it works better on the page than it does on the stage. And I, I, I might agree with that. I haven't seen it, obviously, yeah, yeah. but so, reading uh, it is 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 a trip and is good and as an actor is very uh i got voracious you know i was like this is delicious stuff um but then you have like i listened to a little bit of the la theater works uh and david suchet who i'm a huge fan of uh poirot himself is uh is doing it and i turned it off because i was kind of just like i don't i don't know if i'm into this well, this there's that's what I was talking about at the beginning when we were talking about you know the potentiality. Like, do you uh, these two people are in a train compartment? Do you pull them out? Do you allow them to physically leave the space to address? The, but they don't address. They're not addressing the audience. They're it's all internal. So do, uh, it could be very stagnant very quickly, um, and if you think of like like my head was like oh a train car they're facing each other mm-hmm. they're looking at each other at 90 degrees so we're seeing as an audience profile profile right. and if they're just talking to themselves like how will that work so there there is without a question uh a a, a pretty insane theatrical challenge to to pull it off and and have it be dynamic in right especially for a 2000 audience 2000 to 2020 i feel like we have there's there's a lot of problems with and i mean i think this is why people had problems with the flick too which is is that i think you do have to sit in a lot of silence or you have to sit in a lot of of talking and monologuing it's like the faith healer right um uh play that's just all monologues this is an exploration not a story so Mm -hmm. it's easy for a more modern ear to kind of tap out at some point and be like oh i just i just missed everything they said for the past 10 minutes oops but if you're reading it you're really there with them and you're really taking in their words um but i there are times where especially by the end of it and i I did love this play. This is not a slide against it, but where it feels a bit like, is this a long joke headed towards a punchline? Mm. And then it kind of is. The the final note is sort of the punchline where you're sort of mm-hmm. like, she's like, Haha, I knew all along. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. But I, I, I still love the play more for internally the things that are happening, the things that are happening within the monologues. Not, I didn't, I don't necessarily like love this format. I don't know know that I necessarily love. Um, uh, I would love to watch it uh, very much, but like as an actor and a reader and a director, this is a very exciting piece. Probably be right. a fantastic film too, like a short film. Like a short film, yeah, where you could get, where you could cut to things. You could cut to the windows and the passing by of, of images and, and that sort of thing. I was just thinking the same thing, CJ, great minds think alike. And, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I, I think that that's also possible. And the other thing um, you were talking about the, the end, 
But what got me is very quickly, because she sets up the joke early on. If I pull out right. this book and he and he notices and says something, then then or if he laughs, then I'll then I'll know that right. he's real, or the, the the connection is real. Um, but as the play went on, I started going. I started getting nervous. I'm like, they're not going to connect. It's yeah, gonna be, right. it's going to be really yeah. sad. So and so because they're talking about heavy stuff. They're talking about the death of friends. Serge, uh, Serge, <laughs> um, and then like she has the whole thing about uh, her other her other male friend, and how that that uh, the other friendship fell apart, and, right? And and it just like just really sad, but really like tangible stuff that we can all connect to. Right. And so when the, when the ending happened, I found myself like like I, I convinced myself it was going to go awry, and I was so yeah. thrilled that it didn't. And mm-hmm. it's so it's a it, great final moment. It, it got me. It got me with that too because it ends with a laugh. Like mm-hmm. how how be- how better to end something than with laughter? You know. One thing there was a line that really punched out to me as a lady. I guess um, it, the woman says, "My best friends, my few rare and singular friends, are women." That women would turn out to be better friends to me than men as a development I could never have predicted. And I feel like it's a lesson that I can say for myself. Like when I was in high school and even college, I was like, I'm not friends with girls. Girls are bitches. I am only friends with boys. And it was this weird gaslighty thing that was taught to me that like women aren't good friends they're backhanded you can't trust them and then it wasn't until like my fucking mid-20s that I was like I, I I love my guy friends for sure but like I have some of the most spectacular lady friends that I that are writer dies for me and I I just love that that little lesson was built into her monologues mm-hmm. yeah I, absolutely also Gender is a construct. Absolutely. I'm that <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But Fair societally, enough, yes. it's not because we, I mean, it is a construct, but we obviously, it, it is a problem. And it's, I actually kind of the opposite siege where I've always, and honestly, only until recently, maybe in the last couple years of my life, have started having legitimate male friends. I've always mm-hmm. said like, oh, well, girls get me, guys don't. I don't want to do locker room talk. I don't want to do all that extra shit. And then I realized like, oh, not every guy is is a is a guy from the Midwest and not every guy is and not even every guy from the Midwest is a guy, quote mm-hmm. unquote. Right. Is mm-hmm. a shit eating piece of shit. Men, <laughs> but not man. Right. right. Well, no, shit eating piece of shit. And it's a cannibalistic shit. As a juxtaposition to to that, like I have found that I very distinctly throughout my life have 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 not used is a hard is a bad word but my my friendships with women and my friendships with men have been distinctly compartmentalized for for personal reasons and personal needs like Mm. does Mm -hmm. that make sense it's Mm -hmm. changed dramatically over the years um due to the people around me and due to those you know longer term friendships that i've had but um it's i've I, I I don't know how how long ago it was, but I realized at some point that I'm like, oh yeah, I I I go to my women friends for this, and I go to men friends for this, and right. that's not to to diss either one of them. It wasn't because one was had anything to 
was any less heavy or emotional or intellectual than the others. It wasn't like I hang out with my dude friends to to you know to party, but I you know I get serious with my with with, with my lady friends. It right. wasn't like that, but I did notice that uh, based on almost pure gender lines, and then mm-hmm. I noticed that I had gay and lesbian friends that fit into different compartmentalizations, but were similar things. Mm-hmm. So I've tried to break that down over the years, over mm-hmm. the past few years. I mean, yeah, but it's interesting. But uh, imagine what the difference is for two two older characters where those gender norms have been. I mean, you listen to him talk, uh, yeah. the man talk, and he's got, you know, clearly some, you know, skew, you know, he, he, some misogyny, uh, some racism, misogyny, racism. And, you know, right off the top, like in the first page, she sort of gets it out there. So yeah. you have to deal with that. Um, everything's bitter. Everything's it's all bitter. bitter. Well, and <laughs> another reason why you dislike him is he's this successful writer that is famous and, and every yeah. people love his work and he's just this curmudgeonly grouchy judgmental jerk at the beginning yeah 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 because he i think because he's yearning for that connection a new Mm -hmm. type of connection and Mm -hmm. and that's what we're going for um i did want to digress real quick uh and talk about some of the reviews that you had brought up bailey and yes i have go ahead because i have one too this this is one and i was like i would love to just smack the shit out of this dude i'm not even gonna say who it is but um or name a name uh, is this just another of those ostensibly profound, borderline trite aphorisms that plague raises plays? Each of them stroking audiences by smugly telling them how smart they are. Uh, well, that's a bitchy fucking line. And fuck like, that really guy. Condescending. Like I was like, because I just finished liking the play, like reading it and going, I like this play. And it's like, yeah, it it's you know, I was like, your your pretentious shit is basically what he's saying. And yeah, like, I'm like you're fucking inhuman. Like he needs therapy. Yeah, but it's also how people talk about a lot of things like that. Like he's like, yeah, all oh, that was super obvious to me. And so if you didn't already know everything that she's pointing out, then you're fucking stupid. Right. <laughs> and I, and it's like fuck you, dude. First of all, and second of all, like not everybody's thinking about this kind of shit. Not everybody's thinking about art and pretension and and the way that they speak about it. And also, it's the way we talk to people. Like this is a bad analog for Yasmina Reza, and I apologize, Yasmina. But like Rick and Morty. Let's talk about Rick and Morty for a mm-hmm. second. Mm-hmm. There's a obviously a toxic side to every fandom. There's definitely a toxic side to that fandom. A misogynistic, shit-eating, shit-turd, fucking ball sack. Yeah. Oh, oh, I mean, awful tribe of terrible people. (laughs) Um, But, but outside of that, like, there are people who just like get the show and like it, and they understand it because it does kind of, in a in a way, sort of use really deep profound things and make kind of light of them and make them simple and make them more just like accessible can tend to be a bad word but i mean that in a good way like it does make it more accessible to you in right in front of your face terms like oh i get this like because you're putting it in terms that are just very casual and very human and very personable and pedestrian and that in a lot of ways can be a extremely more profound thing than extreme metaphor and symbology here and that's what he it sounds like that fuckers 
fucking. Wouldn't it, wouldn't well, it be, I mean, that go ahead, Siege. Wouldn't it be amazing to find out that Reza is actually a huge Rick and Morty fan? Right, she probably oh, is. Honestly, probably <laughs> is. but I mean, she's that's like, the... I love the toilet episode. It's my favorite <laughs> episode. I, I, she liked the pickle Rick people, pickle Rick pickle. Yeah, pickle <laughs> but like, it's. You know, it, talking about the Rick and Morty thing, you know, that's an example of an artist who got into a point in his life where he's like, I need to deal with my shit yeah. and I'm going to do it through my work. And so if you watch the work, it's all the show is really about a, a character trying to deal with his toxicity yeah. as a human being, not just as a man, but his own self-loathing, his own mm-hmm. bullshit that's loaded on him. And those are the the profound moments of that show is when you're laughing, you're laughing, you're laughing, you're laughing. And then boom, the nine inch Nails song comes on and he's faced with being alone in a room. And, right. and, and I think that that's what she's doing. The accessibility to these ideas, like that's that, that goes all the way back to what we were talking about in the first part. And my thesis that, that these are little grenades that stick with you. They blow up and you're kind of like, oh, right on. I saw this cool explosion. I saw this fireworks show and man. And then you just keep with it. Uh, Here's another terrible review. (laughs) Michael Feingold from the Village Voice. I'm going to name him. Mm -hmm. Uh, He gave this a D uh, on an ABCD scale, ABCDF scale, a D. Uh, he did not like it at all. Uh, most critics liked it enough, though. They were like they were giving it like a B, uh, at least. He said, nothing could be less than the unexpected man. An evasion of dramatic responsibility that would amount to consumer fraud if it wasn't for the fact that you get to see two English stars performing. Boy, wow. he likes the sound of his own voice. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So what Fuck a that bunch of assholes. I mean, that's the village voice. You know, people put a lot of uh, it's it's, not, it's a highly even, read thing. Not mm. as much as it used to be. That's true. That's true. <laughs> At the time, though, maybe in 2000. Listen, uh, you know, it goes pre- back to 9-11. Sure. Uh, I mean, it goes back to our conversation about art. You know, you, you, you know, you like what you like and you don't like what you don't like. But. There's a point where, like, you're you're trying to to swipe at, you're trying to attack um, right. her for um, trying to tell a very simple human story and in uh, with very complex levels. And I don't know, man. I I fucking have read far fucking worse, far fucking worse, and I know far fucking worse has been put on stages and paid and people yeah. paid money to do it and. Um, this affected me, so fuck you. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Amen. Fuck you, Do Michael we... Feingold. Hey, why don't we meet up, bro? You want to meet up? Yeah. <laughs> you want to take it outside? You want to take it outside? outside? You want to do this? <laughs> and meet on the playground afterwards? I'll buy, um, maybe, maybe I'll buy you a cocktail. Maybe Maybe we'll I'll hit you out. with a tree limb, and our parents will talk about it later. Oh. Ooh, spoiler. Foreshadowing. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Hashtag, hashtag spoiler. Well, my final thought on Unexpected Man, because there's really not a whole lot to dive into. It's sort of no, like I it, think people should... monologues, uh, internal monologues back and forth, and then they finally speak to each other, and the rest of the play is them speaking to each other. Mm-hmm. It's short, it's quick, but it's also it's it's a lot of words. You know, it's a lot of thoughts. Um, it's a little bit stream of consciousness sometimes, which I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but weirdly, and this is sort of my final thought on it, is it's kind of a play about writing plays 
and a play about reading plays. Mm, yeah. But it's not That's really proper. a play well, about yeah. But it's not really a play about watching plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it, it comes up a bit short, I think, for like a critic mind because they're like, well, I did not, I was not profoundly moved by the set changes and the theatrical experience. I almost think this is like, it should be a dialogue. It should just be like read as a dialogue rather than like even seen as a play. Maybe, maybe there's a way to do this. that's so interesting. And you just get two stars that can just fucking blow it out of the water because it's hard. Mm -hmm. But, but reading this, I got so much out of it. And so when I was reading reviews, I was like, oh, okay, well maybe, maybe I'm an idiot. I don't think that's the case. Right. Well, the other thing uh, that we didn't mention was uh, in the stage directions, the opening page, uh, they, I think it's Christopher Hampton who writes, there's, we, we don't, I don't put it, there's no pauses here. There's no stage directions here. There's, it's just the words. It's just right. the words on the page uh, that you have to, a theater artist has to interpret and and bring to life and it's it would be hard like i i kept going like i kept stopping going how would i stage this how would i do this how would i act this um and how would i guide actors through this if i was directing and it's a challenge for sure do we have anything else you want to say about it unexpected man anyone anyone going once I'm the same. I was just so glad they connected in the end because I was yeah. getting worried halfway through too. It was like, are they not going to talk? Come on, they were going to beat each other. <laughs> yeah. Not to compare uh, this phenomenal female playwright to two uh, male playwrights, but if the first one is her Terrence McNally, Sam Shepard, modern sort of, you know, uh, two-hander, three-hander drama, then this is her... Um, Beckett. I said, yeah, I said, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. This is her. Like, let's let's get a little bit more existential. Let's think a little bit more literally. And, and I have it. another playwright for this next one. Oh, oh perfect! Yeah, because our next one is God of Carnage. Bow, 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 bow. Six. <laughs> Two thousand six, your... great year for wine. Yeah, true, true. It's a good year for graduating college too. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, Ought six. Odd six. It's my uh, not to. I don't. I hate that we always end up aging ourselves and talking about age on this podcast. But I, uh, uh, I would have been going. I would have been a, a freshman in high school in two thousand six. Baby beige. Going into my sophomore year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Me. Me too. <laughs> Scott actually was the grade below me uh, in my school. Right. I picked That's on right. him a great deal. I'm the old broad. You picked here. on me, but, That's right. but, but then you embraced me later on and, and it became a mentor. <laughs> yeah. CJ mentor was my protege. babysitter. Yeah, right. I was both of your babysitters. Exactly. That's how we all knew each other. Um, yeah. uh, okay. So, uh, as I said in, my, in the last episode, I saw God of Carnage at KCACTF. Uh, circa 2011, maybe 2010, 2009. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at Lincoln, Nebraska, and it was phenomenal. The kid who was playing uh, Michael won Irene Ryan's that year, so mm-hmm. it was kind of a phenomenal performance. The college students definitely. Uh, th- I mean, to this college student at the time, it was phenomenal, right? Uh, maybe now, if I saw it, I'd be like, uh, they don't know what they're doing. 
Um, but it was it was phenomenal, and I walked out of that show being like, "This is my new favorite playwright." <laughs> I got to go read everything she's ever done, and then I didn't. Like, I just didn't go research her. I just kind of lived on God of Carnage for a long time, and and uh, uh, used it to uh, snack on and munch on for years to come. Um, I there's also a movie which I've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I'm same. sure we'll talk about. Did you guys yeah. both watch it? I yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's the only well, Polanski actually, film I've seen now. It's actually, oh, wow. it's actually <laughs> been a long, a, a while since I've seen it. But I got it from a red box uh, <laughs> pretty early right. on in my days in uh, California. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's the movie. We'll, we'll start by talking about the movie real quick, just to get it out of the way. It is a Roman Polanski directed film. We do not support Roman Polanski on this podcast. Well, I don't know. I don't want to speak for y'all. Do you support Roman Polanski? Fuck that guy. Okay, cool. I uh, um, I should say th this is one of those ones that's really hard because of the work. Because there's a body of work that he right. Chinatown is is a masterpiece. And, right, and you can't d delete other people's work on those pieces. Like it's a very yeah. difficult thing. It's almost like I was listening to a podcast the other day where they were talking about this and they were like, what if we could credit things now? We could go back and edit um, opening credits and ending credits to say, instead of like Jodie Foster, John C. Riley, and Kevin Spacey, it'd be like, but yeah, Kevin yeah, Spacey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of getting the and credit or the with credit, you know, it's like with Forrest Whitaker, right? Well, it would just say like, but this canceled person is in this movie. Just so I, you're. <laughs> I think the problem. I think the problem with this, and like I said, I I own. I watched it in relation to never having seen any version of this play or read it. Um, and I knew it was out there and I knew people were crazy about it. It's just the fact that this, the movie was in 2011. All four of those people in that cast knew who he was, what he did, why he is no longer in America. And I know there's a whole group of people that are like, there is a list. Forget about it. You know, there's a and Hollywood list of people who I, I think some names have been pulled like of late in 2020, 2021 climate, but Meryl Streep, Kate Blanchett, yeah. like Kate Winslet, like our 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 gods and goddesses of of the film industry are all very in support of him because he created a lot of their careers. He gave a lot of great work. He also is outside of the things that he did. And it's it's we've talked about Alan before too. There are masterpieces there that mm -hmm. if you delete it, you delete things out of the culture and it's like you can't do that it's impossible right. so it's about we delete the person not the thing the problem is you're right you have actors like this still going to france to write to do a movie with him which yeah. he could i mean uh, okay all that to say uh it's kate winslet john c Riley, jodie foster uh and waltz. christoph waltz christoph um and it's uh, it's does the thing. It's basically the play in a movie all in mm -hmm. one scene, and it it does it fine. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it is what it is. Um, it's but, definitely uh, not up there with in terms of the Pol Polanski films. Like no, no. It's, it's in not. fact the last like ten movies he's made have been kind of just like silly. He made um, Venus and Fur, David Ives' Venus and mm -hmm. Fur, into a movie years ago, um, which I've seen, and it was like oh, okay. 
Okay. And it's... It, that's, what, just, that's just not a movie to me. Like, it's a play. Well, first of all, think about Roman Polanski making that movie. It doesn't make sense. He also made the movie uh, uh, Repulsion, Repulsion. Yeah. Which is, like, one of the most... Considered one of the most, like, feminist horror films of all time. And it's like, fuck. Like, what are... Uh, okay. Everything's broken. <laughs> Everything's broken. We're not going to get into it. Um, but so I, I just wanted to bring up the movie. It exists. When I say we don't support Polanski, I don't mean we don't support the amazing work that was put in by actors and crew members alike on all of those masterpiece films. And those films still exist in the ether. Chinatown, Rosemary's Baby. Like, y- y- you can't delete them. However, we do not support him now or the things that he did or the things that uh, he, I mean, that he admitted to, um, and the read fact that people read his autobiography and do and, and to um, actors who are still going out and working with him, like I, that's a huge problem for me. But well, those and, things and, are changing. Well, we we also sh- need to acknowledge, like Yasmina Reza has a relationship with him. Like it's right. not right. just it's not just this. Like she did. The adaptation of Metamorphosis that he directed right. uh, in the 80s. Like, they have a long... I mean, it's also... And I think that this might be why you have people like Jodie Foster and Christoph Waltz who... Well, I don't know about Christoph Waltz, but I know Jodie Foster has spoken out publicly in support of him. I don't know if it's just a cultural thing. I hate to minimize it or reduce it to that, but there's... There's there's a thing there's 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 a thing there in terms of of Europeans view of things being different. I have something that I I had a friend a couple years ago who's Polish and she's she moved here um, and has been here for years now. And it was when they were filming um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And it we all met at a bar one night. We were hanging out and one of her friends was the guy that played Roman Polanski in that film. Mm. And I, I was trying to talk to her about how I felt about Roman Polanski. And she's like, oh, she's like, why? That happened a long time ago. Do you know everything that he went through before all of that happened? And he's one of our biggest stars and one of our most accomplished artists and writers, you know? So, I mean, that was an interesting co- And I wasn't going to sit there and but I wasn't going to change Michael her Jackson mind. argument. Right. It's it. That's like being like, well, Michael Jackson is the is one of the great is the king of pop, right? Did you know that his father was abusive and that everything was bad and he was probably sexually traumatized and all this bad stuff happened. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't make anything he did okay, and it doesn't matter when right. it was. There's no statute of limitations in terms of in, in my mind in terms of <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, uh, assault uh, or pedophilia, absolutely, or anything of that nature. Well, and and you know the fact that after all those years that that young woman you know was like I, I've forgiven him. I'm I'm moving on with my yeah. life. It's like that doesn't. That that that's her. That's right. her, and she's allowed to do that. Right. We, we can't give him. You can't give rape a break. <laughs> like you know what I mean. Right. It's like what? oh well, he was he was down. I'm like yeah. He well, was Kavanaugh. Like, Kavanaugh know. can do it. Well, but, and he yeah. also. I mean the I, again. What I said about his um, autobiography. He bra- it's she wasn't the only one. He brags about all the teenage girls that he hung out with when he went to Europe. Like yeah. when he left. Yeah. So he's an unapologetic pedophile. <laughs> right. Right. 
Sorry to get dark. Do y'all yeah. want a breakdown of this? <laughs> Fucking A. Jesus. <laughs> Speaking of breakdowns, hit it. CJ's Breakdown. What starts as a calm discussion between two sets of parents about their asshole kids getting in a fight devolves into madness, histrionics, and some slightly more modern day who's afraid of Virginia Woolf realness. Yeah, so this is 100% almost perfectly mirroring Who's Afraid, Edward Albee's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Mm -hmm. right? I felt like Who's Afraid gets a, it gets a little more gritty than this one does. In fact, For sure. like I... I read this one last out of these three, and even though she has proven herself in these other plays that it's, I mean, this is probably the wrong word for it, mild-mannered. Or civilized. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I knew the gist of this story, and I knew what was going to happen, and I was... I was on guard waiting for something way worse to happen than what happened. Sure. Well, we've also, we're used to it because we've, we've been reading a lot of really dark plays. I mean... I we, thought it could have gone Sarah Kane. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I was about to say is we've read Churchill, Kane, Vogel, where you know that right. something bad's happening at some point, or at least we're going to find out something did happen, right? Mm-hmm. Right. No, for Not sure. Not that this isn't bad how things go, but still, I was waiting for something. It, it could go a lot further. Or, you know. This is the one I'm most critical of, and I don't dislike it by any stretch of the imagination. But... I don't like any of these people and I never do in art. You don't like them, but you get to like them because you find their nuance. Like you find you get mm -hmm. a little bit more. I don't know if it's because you get more time with them. Um, yeah. Also in art, there's a little bit more. Well, there's there's address, addresses to the audience. There's there are little asides. So you get a little bit right. more revelations. And then certainly with the unexpected man, you get all internal stuff here she doesn't allow you for that so i i you know i get i still get it um i listened to the la theater works production and i don't mean to be overtly disparaging i just did not like it at all I, i've seen two mm. weak productions of it and um oh this is the one thing i wanted to bring up real quick one of the great fucking hardest things ever, especially in this day and age, especially with modern plays, and this won't be the last one, is motherfuckers talking on fucking cell phones, yeah, not sounding or acting in any way real. And yeah. that was my problem with the L.A. Theater Works. I'm like, there's no pause. You're not hearing anything. You're not hearing any other... You have to hear the other side of the conversation to say something. You can't just bowl through lines. And, I, and that took me out of it so badly... But I'd seen two other productions where, again, they there was some really good work. I shouldn't disparage them either. But there was always, like, one person who was just totally off, just not into the vibe at all. Right. And it was the one thing I liked about the movie was I felt like, oh, all, all four of these people are on their toes and, and, and reading each other and feeling each other. Well, you gotta, have, you gotta have a phenomenal cast. All four people have to be locked in. It's like we've said with the other two. They, if there's one tiny weak link, it, it, it's ruined. They stick because, out like a sore thumb. Yeah, yeah, because it's so ensemble. There's no lead character. There's no, it's a, it, the moment is the lead character. The time is the, the place, the tension is the lead character. Right, the circumstance is the lead character, but what's the plot? 
two couples come together to discuss that their their boys uh, ha- had some trouble. But that's the plot. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the plot. Like, the, you know what I mean? It's not like they really get anywhere. They end up having a lot of conversations. There's a, a climax, but it follows basic structure to, to for the audience's sake. Um, this one's a little more uh, uh, audience friendly than... For sure. Unexpected oh, yeah. Man was. Oh, yeah. For sure. Maybe even a little more than art, maybe, just because it's it's a little bit more like down-to-home people. There's right. higher action, yeah. Good. yeah. True. Yeah. Um, but I will say, I don't, I don't think we're meant to like these people at all. Mm-mm. And I'm pretty sure Yasmina does not like them mm-hmm. at all either. And you can feel that a bit. And maybe that's what you were talking about, Scott. You can feel it, it's that. that it, yes, it's that. And unlike the other two plays that we discussed, it, I have no hope at the end. I am hopeless mm. at the end. I'm really like she she that's what she's going for. And we should say that this is based on an actual incident. This. Right. So she got commissioned by a German theater company to write a play. She's like, I ain't got nothing. I ain't got nothing. Then she ran into a friend uh, who their, their children were friends. And so it was her son's two friends that got into the fight and Mm -hmm. his teeth got knocked out. And she was like, I got it. She wrote this in three weeks. Wow. Okay. Like she cranked it out. Um, And excuse me, three months. Uh, I want to make sure I'm still (laughs) regardless. Yeah. Regardless, she cranked it out. Um, And, I, I her theory and her approach and we again we talked in part one this idea of kind of understand trying to understand where uh an artist a playwright or a filmmaker is coming from a la david lynch and what he's trying to do and once you understand what he's trying to do then it makes the material open up um so i got that that she's dealing with this sort of visceral reaction that she loves sort of watching people well-mannered and well put together, but on the edge and they just need a little push over the edge to go collapsing down and, and it all fall apart. And there's the wonderful uh, part in the middle. Is it, uh, is it Alan? It's Alan who's, who does the God of Carnage monologue who talks about. Right, what a right. fucking asshole. He what is. A fucking he, asshole. he is He's the one on his cell phone the whole time. He is, yeah. but I will, I'll, I'll argue that, that Reza believes that that's truth. She doesn't oh. necessarily like it, but I think that she believes that that's truth, that we're all on the... It made me roll my eyes. <laughs> for sure, because it's horrible, but I think that, that, that there's... I think that she feels that there's a degree of truth to that, where we can all be shaken up. And that's what the play is... That's what she's... That's what the play is showing. Like, you know, and at the end, they kind of, that's why I'm hopeless, at the, a little hopeless at the end, is because I don't see a moment of turn or a moment of realization or growth from any of those characters to go oh i can make a change or i can like in art we have it first of all art is funnier not that god of carnage isn't funny it's funny in its ugliness and its brutality it's kind of funny watching these people tumble off of their pedestals but i think that she thinks that there's a uh at least a modicum a nugget of truth in what he's saying that we all have to deal with and accept that truth in order to move on, but none of these folks do. 
Well, I think it puts a mirror up to parents. It's like, how many stories have you heard of parents losing their fucking shit at some little league game or something? Oh, yeah, Yeah. right. This is parents just don't understand the play. Yeah, well, and I I mean, Bailey, I'm sure you can relate to this. From my years of teaching, the rule that I learned was, is a kid an asshole? Meet their parents. Because yeah. right. their one or both of their parents will be assholes. 100%. That's always the case. <laughs> um, no, it's super true. And in, in, in terms of Reza's evolution, which is what we're here to discuss, I feel like you're right, Scott. Like It's almost like she has stepped further away from... She, she's kind of progressed further away from needing us to like her characters or even uh have hope at the end it's we were talking in the first episode she's very preoccupied about what audiences think she's Mm. very preoccupied about how you view her show and i wonder if maybe she's lost a bit of that preoccupation by the time she's writing god of carnage and she's a little bit more like you know what this is kind of a middle finger to like all the par- the shitty pretentious parents who are ruining the next generation that's mm, coming. Mm. Uh, and that's my statement and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> kind of by the end that's of it. That's kind of all yeah, the parents and, do too. Yeah. <laughs> right? And and listen, you know, I I I think that when I say that that I felt like that that monologue that moment is is her view of truth, but maybe she's also simply asked posing the question, making us yeah. deal with the question. Um, yeah. And and, you know, can, can we answer that? Like, you know, uh, you know, forgive the phrase tribalism, which we're trying to get rid of. But, the, you know, the idea of, you know, outsiders and, and you know, it's, I think it's one of America's great problems. One of the great problems in the mm, weird formation of the United States of America is that we built in these these. Uh, you know, well, I'm I'm better than you. So and so from Arkansas can't be better than me from right. Massachusetts. We we built that that shit in, and it, we've never done a good job of really answering that question in order to get beyond beyond that and grow as a society and as a people. Right. Uh, which is, uh, you know, I think you know those are the that ideas she's 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 playing with those ideas and challenging us with those ideas but yeah we've all seen these parents before to some degree or another uh i really wanted to see a theatrical version of this and i just searched god of carnage broadway on youtube yeah and i didn't get anything (laughs) i got this company in germany called the bond theater b-o-n-n okay they did it in english and they were doing it as Americans. And it was so funny because it reminds me of any time I took, we learned, like, you learn British. They teach you, like, a British dialect. They teach you the Queen's English. So it's like, it's this very overblown, nobody actually talks like that. Right. And it was so funny because the guy that played Michael had, like, a New Yorker accent. Right. And then one of the women wasn't able to handle any kind of an American accent. She was clearly had a German accent. It just was, <laughs> her accents were all over the place. And it's that whole thing of like, everyone must think everyone in America either sounds like a New York gangster or a cowboy. 
<laughs> well, it's true. That is the case. In fact, uh, the three of us could be fit into those uh, categories uh -huh, very yeah. easily. For sure. Uh, but I've talked about it on the podcast before. If you see anything on the West End where they're using American accents, they'll be like, hey, yo, I'm from uh, I'm from Kansas. <laughs> How you doing, though? And you're like, no. Uh, Here to Eternity, the musical, which is something I'll, I'll I will sing the gospel of all day. It's like one of my favorite uh, Tim Rice uh, musicals, and it's um, uh, all of them. Each they like go down the line and say where they're from, and it's during they're at Pearl Harbor. It's the it's all the dudes at Pearl Harbor. And they're going down the line. He's like, "I'm from Arkansas." Next guy's like, <laughs> "You're from, uh, I'm from I'm from Arkansas." Next guy's like, "Oh yeah, I am from uh, I am from Alabama." <laughs> like, oh okay, well they don't know what they're talking about, but yeah. that's okay. No, it's totally. Uh, there was there was one on Downton Abbey recently where I was like, "Oh man, she was so close! Like she was so close!" And then there's just one or two. Benedict Cumberbatch kind of does this in the first Doctor Strange too, where he's really trying to do the American accent. He's overdoing and it, it, and he's overdoing he it. it. By the time it he gets to end, sound British. right? By the time he gets to Endgame, he kind of he's 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 relaxed into it Settled a little in, bit. Yeah, yeah but. but Tom Holland, God fucking damn it! That yeah, oh yeah, what a perfect dialect. Yeah, he's <sighs> his is pretty incredible. It bugs me that he's actually English. Yeah, and his Geordie accent, he was he was one of the original Billies. His in Billy Elliot, his Geordie accent in that filmed version is insane. He's wow. very good. Yeah. Um okay, so we have Alan who's always on his phone. He's married to Annette. She is in she says wealth management. Mm -hmm. Uh which means that she's managing her husband's wealth. <laughs> right. That's her job. <laughs> her job is making sure that the money doesn't get spent. I, I don't know. Um, and then you have Michael and Veronica. Yes. Uh, and uh, she's writing a book on Darfur, uh -huh. uh, which is... She Silly. spent a lot of time in Africa. It's her life. That's right. I've I've spent a lot of time in Africa, um, <laughs> uh, and she's got uh, she's more granola. I guess is like a word you could use. I guess mm -hmm. maybe I don't Works know. Works part time in an art bookshop or something like. Yeah. Um, made me roll my eyes too. When somebody uh, used the phrase uh, uh, "nouveau corporate hippie," like Ooh, <laughs> I like that. That's like, it. It was like yeah, like all the good intentions in the world, but also. A little self-serving. <laughs> and they're, they're getting into some, I mean, they're there to talk about their kids, but they're getting into some pretty extremely loaded topics. Yeah. Uh, homophobia. Mm -hmm. uh, racial prejudice. Uh, which, you know, we hear these things get brought up in Unexpected Man. Um, in art, they do not, really. Mm -hmm. No. She kind of avoids it altogether in art, um, which is why art kind of works too. You could cast anybody in those three roles. The three of us could do it. You could cast uh, trans people. You could cast black people. You could cast Latinx people. Like it would be a, a phenomenal show no matter what because it's universal as fuck. This one like almost feels like it kind of falls into the lips together, teeth apart thing where it's also kind of being like, also these people are white. They're very Fucking white people, but am I right? Yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It does feel that way. I mean, there's a way to cast it differently, but it's almost like, yeah, but I, I, I don't want to cast any bad light on someone of color because this, this play is very much about like white complexes. And it is I don't a condemnation. It is, else. it is a condemnation of, 
uh, of of sort of that upper middle class, yes, white, you know, estab- pa- power established people. People mm-hmm. are there because circumstances just let them be there. Right. Um, and not to say that people of color can't be uh, middle class pretentious assholes. I'm not saying that. No. I, they can be. I'm just saying uh, the, the, the things that they speak of, especially racially, uh, when it's charged that way. I mean, maybe there's an interesting way to cast where one of them is there and is listening to it and is a person of color. And it's like really fucking tense and hardcore. But I, I don't know if that works. What if one of the couples was like a gay couple? That oh, that falls into the same problem that I think uh, it that would be if you cast a gay couple in, um, uh, who's afraid? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because right. it almost is sort of like uh, again this uh, maybe what I'm saying is is actually offensive. I could be saying something super offensive mm-hmm. right now, but what, no, I, I get what you're saying. Like it's sort you, of like pointing at like heteronormative white cis shitty middle class like it's like almost so too specific for me to want to do that to the play um because i would i would start root like this is bailey's mind though so another audience member might not i would be rooting for the the gay couple right away i'd be like so on their side no matter what because i already feel like oh they have a prejudice against this other couple i bet Mm -hmm. there's also that yeah I mean, maybe it's maybe it's a current phenomenon, but there's also, you know, there's definitely people in the gay community that are like super Republican or when you meet, you know what I mean? I mean, I think that's what I was thinking. Like, that's true, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Edward Albee has a huge problem with that, with who's afraid. Uh, He like wouldn't let people do it. Uh, with, with uh, I don't know how Yasmina feels. I, think, I wonder if she has any clauses like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't seem so. At least I didn't read or discover any in, in my thing. Right. Um, also, I don't want to take. I, I'm not saying I want to take parts from other people. Uh, sure. You know, like I from people who aren't uh, white cis. Like whatever. I, I I just think it's same with lips together, where it's 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 poignant that it is just these like. Sh- shitty white people mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. the og uk cast was ralph fines yes ray fines ralph oh is it rafe it's rafe aren't there two who's the other jo- one joseph who's joseph. joseph is the other one i was thinking of yeah so and Voldemort corrected my my rafe to ralph and i went oh so it's the brother and i just said ralph um you're right joseph shakespeare in love uh <laughs> uh uh fucking uh handmaid's tale um Yes. No, Rafe. It's Rafe Fines, uh, fucking um, Voldemort. Is that who it is? <laughs> yeah. Who did he play? Which one? Uh, he was Alan. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, he's and then Alan. Tamson Grieg, Janet McTeer, and Ken Stott, who was in the original um, All right. art. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and then on the opening night of the performance, there was a power failure about an hour into the show, and <gasps> they had to continue yeah, in emergency <laughs> lighting. I love it. But they did it. I, yeah, I was like, that's still cool. Um, and then the OG Broadway cl- cast was Jeff Daniels as Alan. God damn. Hope Davis. Uh huh. James Gandolfini as Michael. <laughs> Meh. And Marsha Gay Harden, meh. I bet that'd be great. Uh, no, I it, it was it, apparently it was fantastic. I, I'm just um, I'm I I was never quite as taken with him as as other mm. people. But can I, I, I can I offer a movie that I think would sell you on him? Which one? 
enough said. Oh, enough Julia said. Louise I do like. I did like that one. Yes, I've okay. seen that. We've talked about that before. Yeah, that's a phenomenal movie, and honestly, the only thing I've seen him in because I never watched Sopranos. So I, I haven't I, watched it yet either. That's all I can say is that that's like uh, from that performance, I can tell he would probably do really well in a four person like quick drama. Yeah, and I um, mean they they all got rave reviews, and then that same cast was the one that came out here and did that at the CTG. Right? Think, oh, cool. Okay, I think okay, they were cool, the Mark cool. Mark Taper. But yeah, it was the entire so, cast. They were all nominated for Tonys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marsha Gay Harden won. We stand mm-hmm. a legend. We mm-hmm. I love Marsha Gay Harden. Yes. Um, it wins best play, best director. Uh, here are some people who made uh, uh, re- who were replacements in the Broadway show because it ran for a super long time. Uh, Jimmy Smits. Of In the Heights fame was uh, no bitch played, Jimmy Schmitz. No bitch Jimmy Smith <laughs> played uh, played Michael. Uh, Jeff Daniels returned and switched roles and played Michael. Fucking God, I love him. What a badass! Big yeah. Dick Energy, Big man. Dick Daniels, yeah. Big Dick Daniels, and then uh, Annie Potts of Designing Women fame, one of yeah. my favorite comedic actresses and faces of all time. Um, uh, played, um, uh, fuck, I think Annette, I can't remember. And then, uh, Lucy Liu made her Broadway debut as an, as Annette. I could see oh, her doing, nice. oh, yeah. she did Annette, the other, and yes. oh, yeah. Potts did. More like uptight and a little more pretentious. Cool. I could see her and... play, play it, play both and do something completely different with them. That's cool. It was the third longest running play of the 2000s on Broadway. Can right. you tell me what the other two were? Wait, say ask that again? Say that again. Yeah. Okay, it was the third longest running play of the 2000s. What were the first two longest running plays on Broadway in the Aughts, 2000 to oh, 2010. Without looking, I, I don't, I'm, I'm gonna fuck it up. Uh, One of them we have covered on this podcast. In fact, it was on a very early, early, early miniseries slash episode. Um, and then the other one is a uh, is a Hitchcock movie that was made into a farce play. Oof. Man, I don't know. I can't think. My my mind's blank right was now. Was like Death of a Salesman one of them? No, one of them is a Tracy Letts play. <gasps> oh, is oh. it August? Guess what it was? Was it August? August Osage is oh, the of course. Duh. Okay, okay. Number two longest running play of the aughts. Number then, one longest running play, the thirty nine. Thirty nine steps. steps. No, I never would have guessed that. Huh. Yeah, I never people guessed... loved that show. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, people lost their minds when it came lost when it came out minds. here, and people are like, "That was extraordinary." Yes, it was a big in... that was a big influence uh, on Jamie Robledo when he was working on the first Watson play. That oh, cool. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's uh, uh, I love Thirty Nine Steps. I've seen it a couple times in Kansas City. I saw it a couple different places and. Each time, I was just delighted. I was like, thank you for that. Thanks. So much energy into that show. Uh, what a good farce. Um, and August Osage County is like in my top five plays of all time. So yeah. that's, we love it. Uh, okay. So there's a big part of this play. There's a big gag, quote unquote, <laughs> that happens. Uh, there is a 
what is described in the script as a projectile vomit. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I saw it, they they projectile vomited. It was hardcore, uh, and we all went nuts. We were like, "How the hell did they do that?" Yeah. It was awesome. I don't know if she had something in her sleeve. I don't know if there was a hose, but there was no because she was mid sentence. And then it just poured out of her mouth. Whoa. And she put her hands up to her mouth. So I know there was something going on. But we were aghast. <laughs> we were just like, huh? It's, so, just, it's such a shocking The whole moment, audience yeah. went nuts. Yeah. It's a great moment. It's kind of the 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 clincher for the play for I think a lot of audiences of the of 2006 were probably just like, like, Oh, remember the throw up? The, holy <laughs> shit! You know, holy the how pink, did they man. do that? <laughs> <laughs> totally. She's been blowing chunks for an hour now. Oh, it's one of my favorite lines. <laughs> oh man, I vomiting? can't. I can't handle vomit. No, chunks is the bartender. Uh, that's one of my favorite jokes you've ever written, Bailey. <laughs> well, I have to be honest. The basic outline of the joke uh was taken from something i actually don't even know what it was it just lives in my brain from something from when i was a kid but the setup was completely different and uh but it's like uh it's like you already know that his name is chunks and then they just keep saying blowing chunks and it's funny i just remember hearing that joke in run through and dying in the audience that and i was... think i remember like during the show, poking my head out just so I could hear that fucking joke again. It's one of my. It was a play. It was one of our serial killers, Basil and Dick, and it's one of my favorite moments on stage ever because I got to deliver the punchline, and I I came on and I said, <laughs> "No, Chunks is the bartender," and the crowd erupted, <laughs> and we weren't ready for it, <laughs> and and we stood there, and I think Travis told me at the end, he was like, dude, we t we timed it, th that laugh, it was a minute long. <laughs> like, we added a minute to our piece and lost votes because we went over time. That's and how you know it's good. Life, yeah, because the <laughs> laugh was so long, because it ended up, it turned into a clap. People yes. just started clapping, and I was just standing on stage, like trying not to break, being like, "Oh my god, I, I, I finally got the one laugh I was looking for." <laughs> you know, like the rest of the episode wasn't that great, so it was like, it was like, <laughs> um, okay, cool. Uh, thanks for taking me down memory lane with that. Oh, thing. I needed that. Yeah, I miss I miss killers, and I miss everything about theater in general. It's coming back. It's coming back. back. We're gonna do it again soon. We're gonna do it again soon. Yeah. Um, what else is there to say about this? Do you guys have any uh, any any more God of Carnage thoughts? No, I mean, uh, I yeah, it, it's the one I'm most critical of. Uh, in I think I think you know what my other issue might be is that that a lot of people try to do this play and it's yes, not you sure. want to pick up and do. I don't think it's it, it's way harder than you think it is. Um, yes, despite the length and. The simplicity of it, you know, you want to like, you know, I can understand a theater company with expenses going, look, we can do this with minimal set and four people. And um, but, but it that, has fallen it, into more. that. Yeah, it's fallen into that category of Fool for Love, True West, Danny in the Deep Blue Sea, 
things that you can just put up for no money and like maybe invite like agents to right and so mm -hmm. we as a theater community have lost a lot of respect for those kind of shows i think but when we revisit them which we've been able to do on the pod i'm always just like no oh i can't believe this has been bastardized in the way it has because it is a phenomenal show. I I do still love this show. I yeah, really for sure. It. I think maybe yeah. I I think maybe I'd just like to see people put it away for a little bit. Yes. Let's just put it away for a little bit and revisit it in four or five years, and yeah, then it'll be you know it'll be great. But I love that beats are called hiatuses in this script. Yeah. <laughs> hiatus. Hiatus. They take a hiatus. A brief hiatus. Well, we I get back to that. you know uh, to uh, Christopher Hampton's you know influence on that <laughs> right yeah you know christopher hampton who who translated uh pretty much all of her plays that have been done uh in in america but i mean in england um but also in america but then also um he's done ibsen moliere Chekhov. like he's a big translator Les liaisons his... dangereuses. yes yeah. he's and he's and he's good i like his translation oh yeah and he's done I mean, some even... Chekhov too right yeah, Did you I think it, yeah, Chekhov? I said Chekhov. Sorry, yeah. sorry. And and it's also fine. His, <laughs> he's also a, a just a great playwright, like in and of himself. And you're playing with your effects. Oh no, you were just playing. Lights. Did a bam go off there? Did a bam? No, That's I, a great I, yeah, I looked like I was. I had like an atom bomb moment. No, I <laughs> flash bomb or something. I uh, I had to turn on my light. It got dark all of a sudden, y'all. Yeah, well, it's dark okay. now. Okay. Um, yeah, we should also say that Christopher Hampton, you know, has got two Academy Awards for screenplay writing and mm. that he, he just won for the father this year. And and he's also a great playwright in and of himself, like just his own. Original did he works. win for the father, though, or did uh, he? Yeah, yeah, he won for the father, but he didn't write it. He wrote the screenplay. Did he? I thought yeah. Flor Florian, what, whatever his name was, still won it. No, I think he won. Oh, it. wow. Check it out. Yeah. Or maybe they both maybe they both got it. I don't know. That's fucking rad. Because the other dude doesn't speak English, so that would make sense if he wrote the English. <laughs> exactly. Um, the 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 writer of it, Florian. What's his name? Oh, what is his name? Uh, now Zelig. Now I'm thinking. Um, the father playwright. Um, help me out. So yes, Google. he won. Cut all this. This is fucking stupid. He won for the um, uh, for Dangerous Liaisons in 1988, and he won for The Father in 2020. Best okay. adapted and then screenplay. Florian Zeller. Oh right, best adapted screenplay. Perfect. Florian Zeller, who is the original playwright, who by the way came and saw it at the Playhouse when we did it with Alfred Molina. Oh, did um, he? Right before COVID hit. Yeah. Um, he. Uh, probably oh, was part of that process yeah he he co uh, this is what it, this is what wikipedia is telling me uh the father co-written and directed by by florian zeller in his di directorial debut he co-wrote it with fellow playwright christopher hampton so yeah. they both won it but what i was reading was just giving hampton the credit so my gotcha. apologies sir our americanized bullshit no it's fine <laughs> um Okay, so uh, yeah, Hampton's a huge part of this whole discussion in general because he's 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 the words we hear are his, you know. I mean, he says he's doing a pretty literal translation, but there are word plays that aren't the same because he has to change it. There are pretensions that aren't the same because American pretensions are different than French pretensions, you know. And so, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of uh, differences there, but he 
there's a lot of quotes of him saying like, I don't feel like I've injected myself into it in any way though. I feel like I'm always living and writing through the spirit of the person I'm translating, which is and fantastic. She, and he, he's had to have earned Ray's trust at this point. And they, they yeah. apparently, I was pleased to, to discover that they uh, work pretty diligently and that it's, you know, a back and forth uh, to get it right. Get it right. Um, Racker. So some some other things on Reza real quick, uh, just to list a few, uh, you know, she gets the Moliere Award in 87 for conversations after a burial, Moliere Award for metamorphosis, uh, Moliere Award best fringe production uh, at Winter Crossing, 94, she wins the Moliere Award for best author, best play, and best production for art, 98, the Laurence Olivier Award for best comedy for art, Art, 98, Tony for Best Play for Art, 2000, Grand Prix du Théâtre de l'Académie Française. <laughs> uh, 2005, the Welt Literature Pont. I can't say that word. Literature Prix. Uh, Olivier Award for Carnage. Best Play Tony for Carnage. Cinema Writer Circle Award for uh, in Spain for Carnage. Uh, best Screenplay Adapted for Carnage. Uh, Caesar Award in France for Best Screenplay for Carnage. Uh, the Prix Renaudo Babylon. She's a badass. She's badass. been winning uh, almost every year since the 80, since 87. She's won an hmm. award. Yeah. She's a fucking yeah. gangster. Uh, we stand a legend. Do you guys have any other thoughts on, on Carnage or on the other plays or on Reza in general? Uh, yeah. I, there's two quotes or two little bits here that um to, to share uh the majority of her work she explains starts not with a desire to tackle an overarching social theme but with a single spark that illuminates something bigger uh theater is a mirror a sharp reflection of society the greatest playwrights are moralists i thought that was cool mm, cassandra's if you will if you will <laughs> yeah uh siege thoughts, i just concerns I, I loved the shit out of all of these plays um, and I want to read more of her stuff. Yeah, I was I so not that I thought it was going to be boring or whatever, but I just was so pleasantly surprised and I ripped through her stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to find some of her, her other things uh, and maybe even it'd be interesting to read like a different translation if there are other translations that exist sure. out there outside of Hampton. We'll I don't think there are. I went looking and gotcha. I think that he's he's got the license or at least for the stuff that's published in America. Yeah, uh, that's he, he gets credit because if you look at the covers like it's translated by Christopher Hampton. Right, right. Um, so I don't you know, maybe one day, maybe one day. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think it's time uh, we kill these darlings. <gasps> I think this might be hard for me because... Uh... Bailey loves ranking shit. I do. I love like, ranking shit. You like ranking shit? I do. Is this new? It's new. I, I picked it up about a week ago. It's Did you? Okay. Fair trying fair. out as All like right. a thing. Like, yeah. this is my thing. This is yeah. my mojo. Um. Yeah. So, uh, Siege. I want to hear your three, two, one of these. It's actually plays. changed while recording this. Oh wow! Three, the unexpected, unexpected man. One, God of Carnage. I'm sorry, Jesus, I can't count. Three, unexpected <laughs> man. Two, God of Carnage. One, art. Nice. Noise. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, any, any, uh, any reason why art is top? 
Again, like I did have God of Carnage initially, and I think honestly it was us recording that scene together because these are, I I rated these purely because I kept reading these plays and I was like, oh, I want to do that. I want to, and it was like what things I was most excited about, and yeah. us doing that art scene together is like I can fucking be an art. I don't care if they're all men according yeah, to the yeah, script. No, that doesn't. It can be so, anybody. That's the best part. Yeah. yeah, it's not even really about like three. Like the male relationship. This is how. Right. No, are. not at all. It's not about that. I mean, right. she's not. She's not a male. Like she's writing about the psyche, and it's yeah. Anyway, anybody right. could play it. Yeah. Uh. Uh. Okay, Scott. Oh shit. Okay. God of Carnage, number three. Okay. Number two is Unexpected Man. Number yeah. one is Art. All right. Uh, so number three, God of Carnage was low because I, I think that fundamentally it's probably a better play than the unexpected man. But in this return to check it out again, after a little while not having checked it out, I didn't find anything new in it. Yeah. Um, it was, it sort of stayed the same. The unexpected man caught me unexpectedly in charm. <laughs> and art. It, I think it's just, Great. It does exactly what it sets out to do. It does it in an entertaining and compact fashion. Bailey. Yeah. Bailey. Um, before I rank these, I, I, I want to say this, that, <gasps> that Who do you I think it with? is undeniable that art is like a perfect play. Mm-hmm. Like I said that early in the first episode, it is, it's undeniable as Bailey reading these plays this time, this is my ranking. (laughs) Number three, The Unexpected Man. Mm. Number two, Art. (gasps) Number one, God of Carnage. No fucking way. All right. That's what my original rankings were. Like when I made all my notes for this. We're all different. Hmm. Last time we were like, yeah. What? Hmm. Oh, you're back. You were frozen. You're back. Everything's fine. Mm. Um, but you heard me, right? That, you heard yeah. my top three? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I think it could flip-flop. And actually, like you said, CJ, a couple times during this recording, I kept going, oh, mate, is it art? Do I like art better? And uh-huh. I, I do think art is a better play. Like, actually, I do. Um, personally, just on a personal level, my criteria this time is on these rereads and, and with my experiences with them, I think God of Carnage is exciting because of what you said, Scott, where it doesn't end in hope. It's a weird thing that she wrote this play when these other two plays, which have their dark moments, really end being very hopeful. And this, those two are very civilized. Well, they're more mannered at least. Mm -hmm. This one is like a breakdown of civil, of civility in Mm -hmm. a way. Yeah. Which is why the vomit works so well. Cause it's like, (laughs) let's just throw up all over this. Cause it's (laughs) You know, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm just gonna exorcist vomit all over the shit. Um, and I, I have a deep place in my heart for it. I really love this play. Uh, rereading it was a blast. Um, I didn't rewatch Carnage because I didn't feel like giving money to, um, you know, uh, that more than I already had to that film. But it was, uh, I do remember it very well, and I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's my ranking right now. Ask me in an hour and it'll be different, but that's <laughs> of course, where it's at. Of course, exact uh, same. Do same. we have any, uh, you know, what are they called? Uh, 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 uh. That's right. 
dream roles. Do we have any of those? Any and all of the characters in these plays. I I like every single one of them. I wanted to try it out. Every single fucking one of the roles. You know what? I I agree wholeheartedly. I was about to say the same thing. I was like, I can't say that. I don't all play any of them. You know which one that spoke to me the most? And Hmm. again, was the woman. I was like, I'd love yeah. to play the old woman in the Meredith. unexpected. Or Martha. Martha. Martha, yeah. Yeah. Like, I just, uh, both of those roles are fantastic. Uh, and I I would like to, I think the unexpected man is the one I would like to try to direct the most. Mm. The other two I'd want to be in too much to, to, to be. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would. I think I would rather play Alan than, than Michael. Um, I would rather play Michael than Alan, so we should. Do, uh, oh, yeah. we should we should find a fourth and and do just just read it together. Yeah, I'd love, to do, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. We'll call Cat Washington or something. Are you are you okay? What happened? There's just explosions going on on my street, and it scared me. Sorry, oh, y'all. Oh, no, no. I mean, I heard it. Hey it's, town, it's shaking. Hey town fire. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um. Uh. I'd also like to play uh, any of the roles in art. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm right for Surge, but I don't know why I love that role. You did a fucking great job yeah, in it last I, week. Why not? Why not? Oh, yeah, that was fun. But, it, you know, for five lines or whatever it was, I'd, I'd love to read it as Surge, like read it out loud as Surge. We should do that. Actually, art would be a really fun one for us three to just read through together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's fucking do, do yeah. it. Fucking love it. Uh, okay. Um, oh, any other any other dream roles from anybody else? All of them. Yeah, we want to play all of them. Yeah, Everyone wants to play all of them. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, let's see if we got any new uh, spotlights on the thing in uh, the Los Angeles spotlight. LA spotlight. LA spotlight. Um, I'll start and just give a shout out to the Hollywood Fringe Festival. It looks like it's firing back up. It looks like people will be able to go. It'll also be streaming. Um, but check out uh, HollywoodFringe.com uh, for more information about that because it's going to yep. be happening and it's going to be a really cool scene and hopefully a really good chance to reconnect with uh, our brothers and sisters in the uh, theater community. Can't yes. wait. Um, and I am going to be the guest on a podcast called Let's Get Silly. It's hosted by Dr. Daisha McGee. She, um, is, she is. She's a legit PhD. Yeah, she's smart and cool and funny as shit. She's been with UCB for a while. She's a professional clown, and she's also an amazing school teacher. So uh, I don't have a date on that yet. I'm sure by the time we release our episode after this, I will have a date for that. But please stay tuned. I'm stoked to be on that with her. Amazing. I don't have any other spotlights except that I think uh, everyone should just be looking out for local theater. There's probably stuff going on around you already. There's probably people doing social distanced outdoor theater or maybe some places are opening up. Check them out. There's a very sexy tale uh, of a cat flashing in front of seats. I'm enjoying it thoroughly. It's his lion shave. He looks ridiculous. (laughs) Hi, lion shave. Um... (laughs) Thank you, though, for joining us here, for here. part two and the end of our mini-series on Yasmina Reza, Pod of Carnage. Join us next week uh, because we're going to be beginning another bonus mini-series after every fifth playwright. Of course, we give ourselves a break from reading plays. We watch movies. This time we're inviting our dear friend, once again, Pam. She's going to come back and discuss movies about theater so i want us to go around and now tell 
what we have chosen to watch so that if you want to watch before that comes out next week, you can uh, you can do so. Now, in the first episode, we'll be covering Pam's Choice and Scott's Choice. So I'll tell you what Pam's Choice is. It's the 1997 or 6, I don't know, film Waiting for Guffman. Wow. Which CJ's never seen, so we're gonna uh, we're stoked. gonna pop that cherry. Yeah, we're very excited about that. Uh, and then Scott, what's your pick? My pick is uh, Mike Lee's 1997 or 98 uh, story of Gilbert and Sullivan, Topsy Turvy. It's a Ooh, marvelous film, and it's one that's kind of I think gotten lost, but I think it's love me uh, some Gilbert a light, and a light masterpiece. Yeah, uh, I saw it once as a kid when I was like eight or nine years old and then have never seen it again. So I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan, but I'm excited to revisit. Uh, and then CJ, I know I gave it away last time, but go ahead. What is your pick? Shakespeare in Love. Hmm. Uh, ben Affleck's best acting performance, question mark? Uh, I'd have to no. say. I made that was a bad joke. That no. was a bad joke. It's um, the only thing I like Gwyneth Paltrow in. Oh, wow. You don't like Sliding Doors? I've never seen it. I oh, just, she's such an about. obnoxious um, person so to me. Gwyneth forever, though, <laughs> in my book. All right. What's your pick, Bailey? Yeah, beige. Hashtag goop. Um, my, <laughs> my pick is... Um, Are you going to show us the... No, I'm just going to read it. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, Alejandro G. Inaritu's Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Yay. Yes. I'm very excited. It's one of my favorite films. I know a lot of people who don't like it, and I think that's going to be the best part about getting into it. I kind of hope maybe like CJ or Pam who haven't seen it will will hate it and we'll get to like really debate it like we did Greatest Showman. Uh, but I, you know, I, I, I might be wishing for too much. <laughs> uh, but that's okay. Uh, so we're covering those four. Waiting for Guffman, Topsy Turvy, Shakespeare in Love, Birdman. Watch them. They're all phenomenal. We're going to be discussing them. Shakespeare in Love and Birdman will be uh, the week after next. Um, then, after we finish up those two uh, episodes, we will begin our next quote-unquote playwright. Not necessarily a playwright as much as a writer of shows. Uh, we already did the guessing game, right? So I will go ahead and... No, I can't do that. We'll keep the guessing game going through the bonus miniseries. Mm -hmm. The name of this miniseries is Podcast Love Supreme. <laughs> Podcast Love Supreme. If you can guess who the playwright is or person who writes shows is, then we will shout you out on the next thing. That's all you get. We just shout you out and talk about you for a second. Um, but that's all I got. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Questions? Jesus. Comments? Jesus fucking Christ. Uh, do y'all have corrections? Do you want to tell CJ to pick up her goddamn cues so we can get over with this episode already? You Pace. can email us. Pace. <laughs> Louder, faster, funnier. You can email us. You can also reach us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Scott? Thank you so much, CJ. Uh, big shout out to Pamela Quinn for writing our special uh, Yasmina Reza theme song i guess we'll say it's a theme song it's a kind of yeah song. it's companion a companion song episode. thank companion song thank you uh which you are about to hear right after this a big 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 shout out to ryan thomas johnson for writing our theme song and all of our stingers our theme song is better than your theme song and That's finally true. to the great pulitzer prize winning writer annie baker 
uh, for writing our podcast. She doesn't know she writes our podcast, but she does, and we love her, and we thank her. And one day, Annie Baker, we're going to buy you a beer. It's true. We're going to do it, and I bet it's a Pabst Blue Ribbon. Yep. Pabst Blue wait. Ribbon. Maybe a Hams Can't wait the to land shotgun with her. Hams. Sky Blue Waters. Sure. Yeah, that would be fine. I mean... Yeah, Pabst before like Coors or anything like that. Maybe MG. Coors Banquet? Yeah. Oh, she you, might be you, into Coors Banquet. Cold, yeah. like Very real discuss Razor would drink a Coors Light. Yeah, but Coors, <laughs> Coors is kind of racist as a thing, so. Yeah. All right, fine. Like old man Coors is, I think, a literal Nazi. So Fuck maybe. Well, also, this is kind of crazy. I, I This is stupid that we're ending the episode this way, but why not? Uh <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, Coors and Budweiser, uh, but specifically Coors, were actually the catalyst for the ending of um, of child uh, labor in America. Right, yeah. Because he created, Coors specifically created the machine that made glass bottles all the same so that the kids didn't have to do it anymore. Mm, all right. Uh, and it yeah. created an industrial revolution that ended uh, child labor in America. Classy. He's a terrible figure that we can't cancel completely, just like all uh, Roman plans. Why are we still here? I'm singing in the rain. <laughs> just singing in the rain. Turn the podcast off right now. It's Percy motherfucking over. Why are we still here? Scott's still recording. I do not know how to end <laughs> this shit. Good night, yeah. everybody. Love ya. Do come in and have a seat. May I offer you something to eat? We should chat and hash it out. Calm communication so we don't shout. The day is long. We all feel strongly about it all. Incoming call. This won't take all day, it's right versus wrong, so let's agree and we can all get along. We know what's best, we know what's fair, and we're all here cause we all know we care. Let's have a drink and just rethink all this mess, that's what's best. Put down your phone, you're not Sure took a turn. This did not go well. 